The views and opinions expressed by guests on the TWBC podcast are solely those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views of nor constitute an endorsement by the host, TWBC, or the advertisers. National Championships, Confederation Championships, World Championships, major professional events. For over three decades, he has been there for many of the sport's greatest moments. And now he brings you even closer to the movers and shakers in the world of high echelon tournament water skiing. From the founder and creator of the Water Ski Broadcasting Company comes the TWBC Podcast. And now here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, greetings one and all with salutations and a happy new year to uh, to those of you that have made it past uh, uh, 2021. I'm sure uh, the festive season was kind to you and those that you love and uh, welcome once again to the TWBC podcast. I am the aforementioned uh, Tony Lightfoot. And uh, we open up season two of the TWBC podcast with a rather, rather special guest uh, from the world of uh, professional football. Uh, Many time, uh, uh, many years a kicker for the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, kicked for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, many times selected to represent uh, uh, the uh, the conference uh, in the, in the Pro Bowl, the NSC conference, of course, with the Philadelphia Eagles, and. Uh, Ever since he retired from the uh, from the game of uh, professional football in the NFL, he has taken to water ski slalom like a duck to water. He is none other than David Akers. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Good, 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 good. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, and this is uh, f- this is the first time that I've ever had the privilege of uh, of interviewing. Uh, an athlete from uh, from one of the major pro sports. Okay, so uh, so go easy on me on this one. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you've uh, you've excelled in uh, in in professional sports so far as uh, football is concerned. I mean, you're a place kicker. Uh, for for most of our American friends, I know exactly what that what that's all about. For but for some of our international folks who probably don't have a clue. Uh, kind of give us an idea of what your role was uh, for the uh, for the over decade long uh, stay that you've had uh, within the NFL game. Sure. Well, I kind of grew up as a soccer player, so um, that's where kind of the, the foot to football kind of uh, transition happened. But um, for American football, compared to football in, in some of the European countries, obviously, mean in soccer or even in Australia, in that area where we're talking. Australian rules football, um, my job was to kick extra points. So you'd score a touchdown, you get six points, kicker would come in, add an additional point. Or if you're going down the field and you cannot score a touchdown, you want to attempt a field goal, which would give you three points. That would be my job as well to kick it between the, uh, the uprights. And then I would kick off to either start the game, the half, or after a then touchdown or, or field goal. So that was kind of my job. Uh, as an offensive player and as a defensive player uh, as far as kickoffs go. And then you missed out on one part, which is probably the most frightening part of place kicking or kicking in general, and that's the onside kick. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely do that where you, um, you're you trying to steal back a possession. Uh, so if you are in a situation where you're starting the game or, or halftime or, again, after 
uh, a touchdown or field goal. Uh, when you're kicking off and the, re- the receiving team generally will take the ball and try to get close you know, as they can as far as field position goes so that they can then have a scoring opportunity. The one way you can do that is if you kick the ball at least 10 yards and then you can go and recover that ball, that is called an onside kick. And uh, I had some success early in my career doing that. Uh, They have changed the rules in the NFL to make it a lot tougher to do that now. They're trying to uh, hold back on concussions and whatnot. But uh, that was a thing that I actually kind of prided myself on over the years. Wow. And I mean, and you and you played for uh, for uh, for how many years did you play in the NFL for? I played in 16 years of games. So I started off. I was undrafted by the um, well, as far as drafts go. I got a call from the Pittsburgh Steelers in the in the seventh round saying I was going to be picked, and then I wasn't picked. But I went to the Carolina Panthers, got released after uh, three preseason games. The next year, I went to the Atlanta Falcons, got released after three preseason games. Looked like I was going to be on their practice squad. The Redskins at the time, or now the Washington football team, or whatever now the new name is. They're, they're, I guess they're going to come out February 2nd well, and tell us yeah, what that exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so um, I had an opportunity to go on their practice squad. So I went there in 1998, was activated three weeks later, played one game. My Tony, my first kickoff in the NFL – Went 90 yards for a touchdown. You can just hear Chris Berman say, Steve Richard catches it at 10. He hits it up the middle. He cuts out to the right, and he only, could go. Only the kicker to beat. <laughs> I had never had a touchdown returned on me in high school or college, and I realized how much faster the guys are in the pros right then and there. Oh, uh, wow. So my first day and my first game in the NFL, all the – proverbial things of, of how you dream and think of things, how they're going to play out went right out the window. And I, uh, I was cut two days later. <laughs> I wouldn't, I would not have forgiven you if you'd have gone for that to Keyshawn Johnson phrase. Come on, man. I went after him, but he went right by me like a, just a, a speeding car, just gone. But, um, but you went, but you gotten beyond that, and uh, then the next season started your long tenure with uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. Correct. I spent twelve years with the Eagles, and then I uh, I went to San Francisco after the lockout and went there for two years, and then finished up in Detroit. So I have sixteen years of actual regular season games, fifteen years of credited seasons where he played six games or more. All right then. So uh, of I mean, obviously, you played before big, big crowds, uh, whether, whether it was at RF, uh, RFK or what is it, FedEx Field now, or, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, you, you, you probably kicked in the, old, uh, in, in the old Philadelphia Eagle Stadium before you went to, before yep. you got to the, the vet, uh, the vet to, the link, uh, to the link, so to, so to speak. I mean, what, what was it like being, have, having the pressure to perform in front of 60,000 people, especially when it was your performance, like within the dying few seconds, that could have been the difference between a W or an L? You know, I, I go back to, to this when I, I coach kickers and punters around uh, some NFL guys, some, some college and high school kids, and each one has a different journey. But I ask this question to them. Would you like your team to kind of stall out so that you can go out and make the last second kick? Or do you want them to score the touchdown? If the answer is they want them to score, I'm like, are you sure you're in the right position? 
Because even as a kid, when I was playing soccer, I wanted to be the goalkeeper to stop the goal, but I also wanted to be the guy that went in and, and scored the penalty kick, right? So I wanted that pressure. I wanted the opportunity to go make the play and be the quote-unquote hero. You got to want and it. And so that, that's kind of was always my mentality as a kicker. Like I wanted that opportunity to, to go and, and make the kick. Obviously, it sucks when you don't make it, but um, – when you do do that, you know, there's a sense of like, I got this, uh, you can trust me and, I, and I'll do it. Um, there's a difference of having that kind of mentality and, and confidence and then also getting that, uh, even, and sometimes I'll even say this, you have to kind of fake it till you honestly believe it and you get others to believe it as well. Fake it until um, you make it, I guess. Yeah, to, to a degree. Uh, but all, all that being, being said, I, I truly um, – wanted to be that guy. And, and I think that's the difference between guys that truly do last for a long time. Uh, they want that pressure. They want to be able to go out and do that. And I think if you ask some of the pro skiers at the highest level, uh, if they know they have to get a half buoy or something more than the other guy, they're like, okay, I got it. Let me just go out and run this thing right now. You know, I don't think it's like, Oh man, I can't do that. No, it's a mentality. I've got it and I know I can do it and let's go, let's go accomplish this. And I'm guessing that the best kickers are certainly uh, up top, uh, mentally, cerebrally, going into the in, going into the kick. You know, you know, if the opposing team has at least one or two timeouts remaining, they quote unquote ice the kicker. How, did that did that ever uh, affect you at all? Because I'm sure that there was at least a couple of instances where some where, where just as you're about to make contact with the ball, timeout. Sure. Yeah. I mean, guys have done it over the career, you know, over my career and several times, I think only one time they could say it actually where I missed it when they, when they had a timeout. Um, I think for the most part, most guys end up making, making the kicks. And I think now coaches are trying to do the opposite where the players think they're going to call a timeout. Now they don't call a timeout. So you don't, you know, always kind of messing with their head. And basically when I'd walk up to the line of scrimmage, if the referee blew the whistle to, to start the play clock, I would go through my progression be ready, find my target line, tell the, the holder I'm ready, the holder tells the snapper, boom, if the ball's down, I kick it. If not, you know, it's a timeout, okay, I'll walk away, face the other uprights. The other uprights look way further away when you turn and look at them. Kind of some some uh, kicks on air looking at that, kind of envisioning that kick going through. Referee blows the whistle, okay, play clock starting again. I walk back up to the line, start that process all over again as if I was just getting onto the field for the first time. So if you have that mentality, and also one of the things that I did very early on, and whether it, it, it made sense to somebody else or to my, just to me, every kick, whether it was in practice, whether it was the first extra point of a game, it was a last-second field goal in my mind. And that sounds cliche-ish, but let's say this. Say, say you go out and you miss the first extra point of the game, mm -hmm. so it's six to, to nothing. Team comes up and scores. Now it's six to six. They kick an extra point you lose the game because you missed the first extra point of the game. It's really no difference in the outcome as missing a last second field goal. Mm. And even if you've gone four or five kicks in the, in the game and made them and you miss the last one, it's still, you're only good as your last kick and you have to continue to make that next kick. So if you make it great, if you miss it, it is what it is. Move on to the next one. It's always got to be that next kick. And I'm guessing that even extends down to the kickoff as well. Cause like say if you're kicking into the wind and, you, and, 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 
I mean, you may have intended for that ball to go right right over the end zone and into the into the back of the back of the field and have the opponent start on their own twenty five. But what if the ball comes up short of the of the plane of the goal and the guy gets it and then runs it for a for a kickoff return? That's uh, that plays on your mind as well. I, mean, I take it. Well, sure, and and you got to kind of go back a few years too. Back when I was playing, especially early on, in, in nineteen ninety nine, they made a rule change where the Guys uh, on the equipment side could not mess with the kicking ball. So your quarterbacks, they do all this Mississippi mud on the ball. They, they do all sorts of different things. If you're Tom Brady, you deflate the balls a little bit. Just joking, obviously. <laughs> but the, um, Don't sue us, Tom. The, <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, the things that we would do to the balls to make them fly further, I mean, not helium or any of that stuff, but just like a um, – you know, a leather, and, and even in golf, you, you want to make the, the leather more malleable, but you also want to make it so it can have more compression so it comes off your foot better. That's If you have a hard ball and, and the, the seams haven't been kind of busted and it's kind of pointy and not as rounded, if you can make it, that's why you always see kickers kind of pushing the tips of the ball in. It busts the seams exactly, and by doing that, it allows the the, uh, the leather to get a little bit more malleable, and uh, when you soften that up, you get more compression and yada yada. So that being the case, uh, that 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 the, sounds as, almost as technical as like adjusting the fin on the Slonsky or binding placement. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. But it, we're talking about a time where we were kicking off from the thirty, not the thirty-five. You did not have the opportunity to work those balls in. So you're saying five yards plus another five to seven, even ten, depending on what your weather, if it's cold, hot, rainy, or whatever, would affect on the ball. So you're really talking at least 12 to 15 yards at times difference in what they're able to do right now. So if you see a guy kick the ball to the five-yard line right now, that's probably going to be closer to the 15 back in the day. So what we would have to do is we would have to – kind of make a lot of different kicks, high, short kicks, trying to drop them in between, you know, the front line and the back line and, you know, just to give you a generalization, um, you know, liners, squibs, and, and a whole lot more than just kicking out of the back of the end zone. Later in my career, actually, they changed that rule when Tony Romo dropped the ball for Martin Gramatica against Seattle when he was down in Dallas. Because the ball was real slick. It has a lot of wax on it. If you've not been able to work them in, mm-hmm. you have that situation too. So thank you, Tony Romo, for allowing us to get that, that rule change. And then they started to see the balls were going further. We were able to get more touchbacks. They moved it from the 30 to the 35. And, again, that's all really for concussion protocol to help out. Yes, indeed, because I tell you, I, I tell you what, uh, there, were, there was, I mean – Concussion protocols uh, these days in the in the NFL. I mean, just I mean the I mean these days as uh, as as really. Uh, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know how to say. I mean, I watched uh, Concussion the movie and all that kind of stuff. I've seen players like heard of players like Mike Webster and uh, Junior Seau. You know, take. Uh, uh, take take hits which eventually would lead lead to their own in to each of them their own sad demise you know so I mean were you ever conscious of of that when you were playing in the NFL for the for the seasons that uh, that you were playing I mean even taking into account uh, your position which does offer is a little bit more protected than most well even that Tony I had thirty four. Um 
single tackles as a kicker. And, um, you know, that being the case, you know, you're getting hit, you're getting blown up at times, especially on big returns in the, in the day. But obviously we're not banging, you know, each in and every play, you know, that that's, uh, I've never professed on that. Obviously concussions, a huge situation. Uh, I have a son who's a, a punter and a kicker and I've got another son who's younger, who plays more of cornerback. Um, you know, so that that's that's something that that obviously is there, but I got to tell you, you know, as a soccer player, as a goalkeeper, you know, we would get damaged. My my daughter had two concussions as a, as a goalkeeper in soccer herself, and uh, obviously, when you see your wrecks out there on on the on the solemn course, whether you're talking running six buoys or the craziness of the people that are jumping and doing the flips on on tricks, and I mean, it, it's it's going to be out there regardless. I mean, one of the nastiest. Uh, Rex, I've seen in, in, in the near I, since we've you know been talking. I guess this year would been Whitney McClintock Reenies. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean that was just horrific, you know. And uh, and we can talk about some of the the crazy jumps that guys have done, shattering pelvises, and you know, oh why why can goodness. I'm I'm losing my train of thought here. A brother down da- uh, down in in Florida broke his back. Uh, Kai Lead. Um, no, they're the other dude. The, uh, Zach Warden. Zach Warden, yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Brain fart. CTE right there. There you go. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when you start talking about, you know, the an extreme sport or you're talking about football in general, there's going to be a lot of correlation between the injuries that, that take place uh, on on the field or in the water. And, you know, the one thing I will say that I see and, and probably needs to be addressed, uh, you know, a little bit, because I have some friends that got involved with the Malibu Open who were kind of brought over from football and then into into this. And um, there there's some times where I see that probably should have ambulance on site and things like that and uh, people that can deal a little bit more with the professional aspect of um backboards and water and how you move and rotate people over. Cause you know, just again, watching Whitney's, um, she was flailing around trying to get upright. Obviously she was probably a little disoriented from, from the hit. And it, it, it was a scary, scary situation. And obviously people rushed in right away, but uh, what if there was a spinal injury and, you know, you know, are we, are we actually properly addressing those situations where, you know in the football world they are dealing with those in a completely different manner. If you watch how they roll people, how they're getting them on the backboard and all that, obviously there's uh, an element that's taken out of place there, right? There's no water of possibility of swallowing and, and uh-huh. inhaling, you know, and drown situation. But, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we can get into overlooking into things, and obviously this doesn't happen all that, that often, but uh, – probably way more in football than, than it is in, in skiing on even either three events. Uh, yeah, I tell you the one thing, I tell you one thing that got me wakeboarding. When you catch an edge on wakeboarding, that'll peel your eyelids back and you'll see a chiropractor for the next two weeks. The toe, uh, the dreaded toe side slap. Oh my goodness. Oh man. I've done that more than I'd like to think there, Tony. <laughs> well, I tell you, I mean, uh, I, I mean, and I've, and I've taken some jump crashes myself. I mean, one that I took le- uh, 
several several years ago i was actually face down in the water as well much much like whitney but uh but i mean but i mean didn't have the eye socket or anything like that and uh you know i woke up and people like round me and like saying like what the heck happened he said well you were swimming towards the bottom of the lake dude you know i, mm. I was just completely and utterly not uh, knocked out of that point but uh but but anyway let's move a little bit along from there a little bit because i mean the kicking position in the nfl is is very very special is very very specialized there's only w- typically one of you on the team uh that kicks primarily aside aside from the punter now do 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 kickers get honestly get the respect that that they deserve for their position or 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 is it or is it so or is it so spe- is is there is there a real 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 team mentality within the entirety of the team or is it just the uh, the offensive defensive players and then special teams can you know do what they want you know type deal no i, I get what you're saying I, I say probably years and years ago would probably be a little bit more separated than than you would consider it now if you ask anybody on Baltimore Ravens team, is Justin Tucker respected? They're going to say, well, obviously, right? If you if you talk about guys who are going out on the field Sunday after Sunday and performing at a high level, and by doing that, are they are bringing their A game and helping provide success for the team – you got to obviously look at that as like that person is, is an active part of that team. Um, there were statements in years ago where a lot of international kickers would come in and the old phrase of I, I keep touchdown and pick up check was uh, the, the kind of the, the phrasing in there. And the reality is that that's not the case anymore. You talk about some incredible multi sport athletes right now are the, the kickers and punters that are out there. You look at guys like Pat McAfee who played uh, our, our years overlapped when he was in with the Colts and he was basically a kicker, figured out how to punt and the guy could, could run, could pass, you know, does stuff with WWE. Now he, he's kind of a freak of an athlete mm-hmm. and he's pretty un- unassuming. Um, a lot of them are really good golfers. Uh, the athletic aspect of it now—they don't look and built like a, you know, a gladiator. That—that's a whole different, you know, you know, situation. And we're talking about. But I was very fortunate to play with some incredible teammates, and I was always feeling like that we were all part of the same team. And um, you know, I had guys tell me, like, obviously, David, you have the easiest job Monday through Saturday, but I sure as hell don't want your job on Sunday. <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, before now, we're going to put a bow on this uh, so far as the football is concerned, and I want and, and I kind of want you to uh, uh, to uh, to talk about one of your teammates uh, who you selected as your primary holder for a good portion of your career at the Philadelphia Eagles. His name is Sav Rocker, an Australian former former uh, Australian rules footballer who. Uh, Ended his career in Australia, and then he decided, "Hey, let's see it. See if I can use my punting skills to do that." But one of his other roles was to actually hold hold the ball and kick. So, you'll talk a little bit about Sav Rocker, but I mean, how how important is it for someone 
of his role to actually grab that ball, set it down and, uh, and place it in the way that would allow you to, to hit goals of anywhere up to 63 yards, which is your, your personal best uh, in field goal kicking. So I, I would like to equate it to this. Um, how is a 39-off skier or 41-off skier going to be able to go out and perform that level if they have somebody who's never driven a boat try to drive it down and keep it between the boat guys? Because there's way more that goes into it than actually just keeping it straight, right? Mm-hmm. So with that being the case, holding is so technical and the thing about Sav is this. He came over. He played 15 years of Australian rules football, came over at 33, was the youngest – excuse me, the oldest, oldest rookie rookie in the NFL at 33 years old. And he came in. He had a very strong leg, uh, big old bloke too. He was, I think, like almost 6'7", 260 pounds. I mean, he he's a big old dude. He, he could have played tight end. Position. Almost had his hand on the line as a as a tackle, but uh, a great guy. But what he had to do, obviously, um, was was to learn how to hold. And you know, he almost went to the Olympics, um, you know, in in track and field. So that 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 all coming together, I was like, okay, well, we'll work on this. But he truly wanted to be great at it, and he put the time and effort in to learn the nuances about it because. Kind of the same thing is true when you get a, a punt and what he does with Australian rules, you can manipulate the ball. Same thing's true with, with holding and a little less lean, a little more lean. This is what's going to do with the wind here, there. And, and we have to kind of get on those same pages. And he did a very good job of, of taking it seriously, understanding that it, it's going to be my butt that's going to be on the line, right? Uh, because of his abilities. And, and that's what a true team works. And that's kind of a driver and skiers relationship as well. And they have to be able to work together. And, and uh, you know, ultimately you're not trying to do anything that's, uh, that's crazy. You're just trying to be consistent with each other as, as the holder and the kicker come together so each person can trust each other. And that's ultimately what, what happened with me. And I had a great relationship with Sav. And, uh, and, and the only difference is he's about a foot taller than me. Yes, and uh, I mean, and and I mean, looking at looking on your performance record within the NFL, there was actually a couple of instances in the 2007 season where he had, where where in the same game he actually bobbled a couple of snaps, and uh, uh, that that ultimately you affected your ability to kick those uh, those field goals. You know, so I mean, after the second one, I mean, what was that conversation like? You know, between you and Sav after after those two uh, bobbled holds. Shoot, I don't even remember which ones you're talking about, but I can say if it was if, against if the he, New York Jets. Are you sure it was Sav? It was. You Sav. Sure that, it was. You Sav. sure it was? You sure it was Sav, not um, um, Dirk Johnson? No, it was Sav. Because that happened the year before in a preseason game with with Dirk. But um, you know, anytime we have a situation where with with a holding line blocking, it, it the first thing you got to do is say, "Hey guys, you know, are we are we doing the best we can here?" We're all human. We're all trying to do our best. And sometimes, you know, things happen and, and you just kind of go on. And, and um, you, you know, I think ultimately if somebody was trying to mess you up, uh, there would be animosity in there. But when, when you're talking about people that are going out to do the best that they can to, to give you the support that, that you need, I mean, I, I've never gotten mad at those guys on it. You know, ultimately the NFL is this. If you don't perform – 
you're not going to be there long. The NFL stands for not for long. So <laughs> if you can perform for a long while, then you know you'll you'll be there, and there's a reason for that because yes, they're going to make mistakes. You just can't make them back to back, and you really can't do it in a way that it's consistent. Uh, you got to fix it. You got to fix it now and move on. Yeah, because I mean, there are situations, you know. I mean, I mean, and this, and I think this happens pretty much with every with every kicker. They get into a bit of a rut. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they 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 just don't have the distance. They don't have the carry or the accuracy. And then they find out that next Tuesday there are four, three, or four or five people that they've never seen before are competing for your job, right? It's part of the business. That's how you, you know. It's how I got my job in in Washington, and then. It's how I lost my job ultimately, you know, down the road. And, and it's just part of part of life. And, you know, it, it truly is. And uh, it, it's a little different of a business, you know, than, than most where you have to understand there's a short list on everybody's board of who they know they've brought in before, who they really like and say, okay, if Akers messes up or he gets injured, these are the first three guys we're going to do. Maybe a couple of them are, are rookies or a couple of them are – our seasoned veterans, and we're going to bring them in, and boom, we're going to we're going to go at it. And um, you know, it's it's it is what it is. I got friends that have come in and worked out for my job, and I've done the same thing for them. And and ultimately, have taken jobs, and you know, other guys their their contracts are up, and then I end up getting the opportunity to go in and, and, and take that that job and get paid more than they were getting paid. And it's it's weird, but that's just the NFL for you. All right then. So uh, we're we're going to talk about skiing now because I mean you you've been uh, how long have you been skiing now? I mean obviously <laughs> since, since the end of your playing days of the NFL because like uh, the way the way the players contracts are structured you can't you can't afford to injure yourself in a non footballing capacity, right? Correct, absolutely. And you know I was I was a guy um, that used to ride motorcycles, and when I signed my my last but yet biggest contract with the Eagles. I was like, yep, this is to the point where I'm not going to mess with that at all. I do not, you don't get, if, if you get injured outside the playing field, it's a non-football related injury. You, there's, there's a great chance you're not going to get paid. So forget that. Let's move on and <laughs> let's, uh, let's just work on staying healthy as much as possible. Um, so my skiing as a kid, I, I used to grow up on a lake in, in Lexington or outside of Lexington, it was called Laurel Lake and it was down in London, Kentucky. I know you're somewhat familiar with the, yeah. the Kentucky area. So we had a sea ray that had 140 horsepower engine on it. I never really did anything on the course or anything like that. I just would get up. We had one ski for the whole family and, um, and that was it. Well, fast forward to where we are now Four years ago, I'm at our lake house here in, in Tennessee, and I had a, uh, a friend of my son's come over with his uncle, and he said, hey, uh, we go on ski on Saturday and Sundays. And I'm like, well, dude, I haven't skied in years. And he said, well, if you'd like to, we're going out, you know, next weekend. Okay. So I went out with him and fell in love with it. Excellent. You're probably you're probably hearing a train in the background or something like that. It's nothing to do with Johnny Cash or anything like that, you know. But I mean, you 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 started skiing in uh, in 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 Kentucky into Tennessee. So, 
I mean, you ride a good slam ski right now, so you've obviously gotten onto that level where you'd actually appreciate the performance uh, advantages of a ski of, of that kind of ski brand and of that of that highly technical piece of equipment. You know, so to get you to that point, you you would have needed some coaching, you would have needed some instruction. So when did you have that epiphany and said to yourself, "Okay, I've gotten as far as I can get working on my own." Uh, doing what I'm doing right now. I want to get to the point where I can run the slalom course, do that on deep, on, on deep short line and go on and go on from there. So when did that epiphany uh, take uh, go and who did you seek to, re- uh, to, to help you along? All right. So this story kind of gets interesting in my opinion. Uh, maybe hopefully some of your listeners think the same thing. I- I'm a competitor, right? Like I, I don't care if we're playing tiddlywinks. I want to win. I just always want to win, and I want to get better, and I feel like I've always been pretty athletic. Mm-hmm. Well, we started on this course, and I started kind of just at 30 miles an hour trying to ski, and I was very frustrated by it. You know, I'm trying to – like, why can't I do this? This Everything that I think that encompasses athleticism was probably the exact opposite of what I was doing on – on a ski that would be proper. Right. And so I started, um, I was on Instagram and I not even on it very much I actually was kind of off all social media. I had like over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter back in 2011, but then I started getting some death threats. So I like canceled all that. And I really wasn't even on. Oh dude, fantasy football is not reality. Right. But when people start losing money, cause I was the number one ranked fantasy football kicker that year, in 2012, things got crazy, man. And it, look, even to oh. the point where I had undercover cops every time we left the hotel in New Orleans for the Super Bowl just to make sure my family and I were safe when we leave. Uh, you know, cr- things are crazy, man. It's it's a football is a big big game, um, and people bet a lot of money, and they expect you to do what you have done in the past. And I, I had not done a very good job that year. That all being said. I got on Instagram after football because some of the corporations that I was doing um, kind of appearance and ambassadorships with were wanting me to have more of a social media presence. So I started getting onto that. And then I started kind of following hashtags and different skiers that I would see out there. And um, I'm fortunate that in our area, we have some guys that are pretty well known in the ski community. Mm -hmm. Ham Wallace, Kirby Wetzel. I know both of those guys. I mean, great, great guys, right? And so I started to learn a little bit some of the areas where I could ski. Well, that was 2017. I met Kirby over the phone. Come Chris, I hadn't really skied at all from basically August. So Father's Day of 17 to to August, I skied a little bit. Nothing going on till New Year, yeah, going to be New Year's Eve going into 2018. I'm down with my family, and my mom and dad are taking us down to Sanibel. So I looked up. There's a ski place called Eden Ski School down in Fort Myers, and Arthur was the the ski coach down there at the time. And I ran my first pass down there on Christmas or New Year's Eve, excuse me, of 2018. And so, listen, it was bad. I go down for spring break in in um, Santa Rosa Beach every year, and I knew they had a ski school down there, and I heard this Regina Jake was girl was halfway decent, and uh, <laughs> that's pointed mildly. 
So I actually go there. I meet, I meet, uh, you know, Corey and, and Adam Picos and, um, they said, Oh, there's Regina. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe she's here. And then she got in the boat and she started coaching and everything that I was doing was wrong. And, but I ran my second pass with her and that was March of, of 18. And dude, I was just hooked. So at that point I meet Chris Parrish. I bought a ski from somebody that was a good ski and, he made a connection with me from the people at Good, and, and there's Chad Scott, and then there's Dave Good. Dave Good makes me an Eagle ski, and I started just skiing that. So then I started meeting more people from the Good side with like Regina, and then there was Paul Turner that I do a lot with, Shelby Coke down in, in Chet Rayleigh, and then the list goes on and on. Wow. And I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, and that's, that's, just, that's just the classic story, really. I mean, I mean, just – just 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 being just just being hooked at that first clear pass at uh, 49k which is 30, 30, 30 miles an hour but struggling a little bit to uh, to actually get get to that point you know you know something you know and this ties in a little bit with what you what you do kicking i coach i coach a little bit as well i actually coach in the springtime over at bennett's water ski school and when people have a little bit of problems uh trying to master the course and just trying to get some angle across the wakes you know i i i asked them do you play golf do you do do you play tennis have you ever kicked a football well the 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 thing that each one of those sports has in common is that follow through past the impact if you if you kicked a ball for example and i mean i'm maybe preaching to the choir here but if you kick a ball when you stop your foot from going then that ball's not going anywhere but if you follow through all the way through then you've got power and you've got and more importantly you've got direction do you subscribe to that a little bit absolutely you know so so there so so i it kind of kind of surprised me that it took a it took a bit of a while for you to get through 49 because i mean you know if you, if, so I can tell you what my issue is. What, my what? issue has always been that in football and in most sports, if you're talking football, you're talking golf, you're talking tennis, you're going to get down into a base where you have that core lowered and then you you bring the power up and through it, right? Right. So there is a cocking of your body, if you will. And if you can think about being with your butt down in skiing – instead of driving up over the ski, that's a completely different mindset. Everything that I've been told is not to get over my toes, but to be, you know, on the balls of your feet, but yet have your butt down so you have a good base and be wide. And so everything can... I've done is very muscular to the point of, of t you know, time under tension and, and being relaxed and then coming in with, with an aggression, Okay. Well, when I come around and I'm pulling, obviously the situation for me was I'm trying to stop a 3,000-pound boat going 34 miles an hour with my biceps pulled in, yeah. chest over, butt back, and all of a sudden I'm creating all this drag riding the back of the ski, and it's, it is something that is so ingrained that it's taken so long to get out of um, – so th I think that is kind of the, the, the biggest difference with me. Um, I, I've definitely improved significantly to the point where, you know, I haven't run 35 off yet, but I, I'm, you know, I'm getting in the threes, you know, and I've gotten to four before. I mean, in four years, I, that's not like it's great, but at 47 years old, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. 
and there's every day I go out. Like <clears throat> this is one thing. I'm a huge videographer, you know, like watching the videos of of myself because that's the way the NFL is. I mean, you're watching hours and hours and hours of video. You're analyzing, you're analyzing, you, you look things back and forth. Well, I'm, I kind of learn that way. So I watch videos of myself, and if I feel something, does what I feel, what I see, do they match up? And and I think that's important too. And and I struggle when we don't have people in the boat that can do that, right? Where mm -hmm. uh, the ski dock doesn't work for me with whatever phone that I'm using. You know, it's one of those things where ultimately um, I need that kind of help because at Chet's, Chet would tell him the first couple of times we go, we're not videoing you. This is, I want you feeling this, right? And it's, it's just the different mindset, but guys like Matt Reaney, you know, we talk through and and uh, do a lot of video, and everybody has their thing, so I love listening to it. Um, and, and guys like Chet and Matt and uh, Corey, they, they have definitely helped me become a better skier for sure. Yeah, just, just, by, just by enabling, uh, just by them enabling you to, to be able to, to equate what you see into something that you can change and implement going forward, right? Absolutely. And another guy that's been very helpful just in the discussion and in what he's doing for the ski community is Marcus Brown with his video and flow point, um, you know, watching all those things because it slows down so much. And, and um, you know, for me, being a visual and kinesthetic learner, I think that was important. All right, then. So you've become you've become an active participant. You've become uh, you, you've become someone that goes out there on slalom course and uh, is is just like is just like just just tantalizingly close to being able to run 35 off uh, consistently. You're getting halfway down, you're getting three quarters of the way, you know, uh, you know, my point to that is, is it the position doesn't change too much between 28 off and through to 35. It's the resistance against the boat that, that is, that, that is the, re the real key and being able to develop that and control in your direction. But that's another matter entirely. You become a fan of the sport. You've been, you've watched uh, tournaments on TWBC. I mean, what, what are all what, of them? All of them. <laughs> so what is it? So what has been your general impression about what, what you've seen over the last couple of seasons where TWBC has taken off? Well, it has, and uh, I do appreciate what you do for the sport, Tony, and, uh, you know, to make the opportunity for guys like myself that can watch them. And I, I will say this, and let me go into a little a little direction here where, and, and this is, you know, I know in, in the beginning here you talk about opinions are opinions of your guests, not of yours. But I want to I look at a, a 10,000 or 30,000 foot level coming from the NFL as well, which is, America's biggest sport with it, as far as money coming in, right, and revenue. And I was very fortunate to have a very strong marketing side as well when I played. I see that there's a lot of potential in skiing, even at this level, to go deeper financially for people. Mm -hmm. I feel that that a lot of the skiers undercut each other. I think they're all, I think there's a, a, a look in the ski world of making a dime and not a dollar. And so when certain skiers go to a tournament and they're sponsored by one boat and they can't say they're going to that one because that boat company represents that, that tournament and vice versa. That's ridiculous that they're all well, our contract says and our, we can't say, if I'm a Nautique guy, I can't say I'm going to the Malibu Open. If I'm a Malibu person, I can't show that I'm 
down at a Nautique place or whatever. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. When are the players going to come together, have their own kind of players association and said, quit signing this garbage deal for a couple thousand dollars or a little cheaper purchase of a boat. You know, this is, we're not talking six figure, seven figure deals here that are stopping people from building the sport up. You're, you're, you're losing sight on a couple of dollars of the big picture here. This is ridiculous. There's so much crossover and I completely disagree with some of the old farts in the game. Listen, if you have a commodity, if you're, if you're a, uh, a store owner and your store was big, you had the blockbuster of the world, you were selling VHS tapes and renting them out, and all of a sudden Netflix comes in and they're taking over everything and you don't adjust, you die. Well, if you want this sport to survive, then you have to figure out ways to get that to work. You can't isolate yourself even more. How is the NFL so good? You've got loyal fans. You've got people that are willing and see there's a difference between um, uh, what kind of like in NASCAR. You, you've got ways that you don't have to always get Acme Prop and C-Deck and all the, you know, Nautique. There, there's other things that you and I will purchase, products that we'll purchase that can support this incredible sport. But we have to kind of get our mind outside of what has been done for so many years and look outside the box. And there are people in companies that can do that. When you see that there are sports like um, Cornhole and Spikeball on ESPN, well, how are they getting sponsorships that, that an extreme sport like skiing can't, right? There's ways that this can be if we really are going to dive into the sport. And I'm just telling you, looking from an outsider in, that some of the old good old boy way of doing something hasn't been that way. And people need to kind of check themselves and say, let's bring some people in here that, that have a new fresh idea of how this can, can play out. And I know there are some guys that are out there that are willing to do it, but I feel like there's just a stronghold of these old timers that are saying, this is our club and this is our click and this is the way it used to be done. So we don't want it done any different. I'm not trying to complain. I just see that there's opportunity and growth if people are willing to listen. Oh, please feel free to it to it to express to express uh, express the concerns that you have, uh, however you like, regardless of sport. Because by actually opening up the conversation, it means that that there is, that there is progress moving forward. Uh, to the point that you that you're making so far as skiing and sponsorships are concerned, I. You know, we still got a ways to go uh, to bring in uh, uh, non-endemic sponsors coming in because I think that's going to be that's going to be important going forward. But the one thing that kind of happened last year that kind of kind of blew my mind a little bit because there's there's always been speculation for a while that that skiers, uh, whenever they perform, are very conscious of the fact that they can't set a personal best or performance record behind a boat that is not one that sponsors them. There was a let, me ask you this, yeah. let me ask you this, though. Say you're a Nautique person, Yeah. okay? You're sponsored by Nautique, and you go to the Malibu Open, right? And uh-huh. you break a world record or break a personal best behind that. Well, do you think it's just because that boat from that day, or maybe it was all the prep time that you had because you had a great boat getting you up to that situation? That's a very. Why good is that point. a down? Why is that a downside? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point, and I mean, uh, and I mean to that point, last season, Jacinta Carroll, first person to go over two hundred foot, Nautique skier, 
perform that uh, that record behind a different boat brand. You don't hear you don't hear hide or hair from either Nautique or that other boat brand, you know, about about the record when they should have been shouting from the shouting out the window tops uh, and applauding the fact that a woman has gone over two hundred feet. It's it's absolutely crazy. I, I agree with you. It's it's insanity. But that's where the the players. Me, I always say the players, but you know the skiers and, and athletes need to band together and say, you know what, I don't really care what you're saying. You're not going to dictate my social media in this as long as I am promoting the sport that makes it in the success that we're having. If they're not truly getting big financial dollars that can make truly a difference in their life, it really doesn't make sense that they're like, okay, well, you can't say something about this because they're getting a couple, you know, if you're talking 1500 1600 2000 dollars you know where it's 24 grand a year that you got to kind of come together and say look if we band together that is going to turn into real money because we can look at ROIs with with these companies because we're starting to bring a something where 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 people are interested in and looking it's a product that can build and i know because I have some friends in, in, in this business that have looked into skiing and they believe that there is possibilities to grow the sport. And so, but it, it takes an investment. And people are like, well, if you, if you have to invest 40, 50, 60,000 and to get these companies out there, they're like, that's, that's a lot of money. It is, but it isn't. It, if you want to talk about how you build something, that's nothing. But if people band together and they stop looking at like the dollar here, dollar there, and they start really looking about thousands that can be made down the line, that's where it's like you take a little hit now so that you can come up and have success later. I think a lot of the people that could potentially become very, very uh, significant stakeholders in the sport so far as uh, uh, support is concerned are probably put off a little bit by the politics and the governance uh, within the sport of water skiing. And, and, and I equate it to this, like several years ago, and I mean like decades ago, the Walt Disney Corporation, Walt Disney himself, wanted to put a theme park in Louisiana. Actually wanted to build it on the North Bank. He was discouraged from doing so because of all the politics and the kickbacks that would have need to have been 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 paid out to the uh, to the local politicians and even at state level to make it done so what happened the he took he took his business to central florida and the rest is history that kind of fear has seen uh i suspect that that kind of fear seems to resonate with those that want to support the sport on a huge level but are afraid that that the that the governors and the people within the sport would want to take their cut as well well, Tony, I think you're exactly right on a lot of this. Um, again, it has to be looked at what is best to grow a sport versus best individually at the moment. Because, again, everybody just seems to be undercutting each other to the point where there's not any real money in this to begin with, right? Very few people can do this, especially on the American side, Um where you can say this is their profession, right? I mean, they're professionals, but they have other jobs that provide the income where somebody is supporting them. There are some other ones that do stuff for their country, and that helps out in, in, in being able to train and, and do that. But when we're talking about 
how it used to be and the real money that was out there, that's money has not gone away. It's just gone into different avenues. Now, how do you get that back is, is up for debate, obviously. But what has been going on isn't this isn't working, obviously. So let's, you know, you either adapt or die. And I think there needs to be some more adaptation. And I will say this. I know a lot of people that have started skiing that never had thought about it um, in the last few years. And, and if you talk to some of these people, and you probably know that I believe that the recreational ski sales are actually up. Yeah. Um, and so why is it so hard to find a place to ski? Why is it so expensive to, to, so they're like, oh, it's a million dollar, you know, well, well so is golf's a very expensive game to play, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you really start looking into snow skiing is very expensive um, to, to the point if you're going to go and, and be at a place and a lodge and, you know, lift tickets and skis and all that. Even, it, even football's expensive, right? Well, I mean, to a degree, depending on how you, how you want to get in and how you train and all that. But... <laughs> they make it more difficult each and every time. Like I would love to, to do more tournaments. I'm probably never going to ski another tournament. I'm not going to do that safe sport nonsense. I'm not signing up to do that. So what I was giving money and I was paying for my whole family, even though all of us didn't ski, I still paid that family membership to be part of AWSA. I'm not going to be a part of that nonsense. It's not a true governing body that listens to both sides of, of people's it's, it's a, he said, she said stuff again, goes back to the politics of all this nonsense. And so, look, I'm a father of a son and a father of a daughter. And I want each of them protected like any other father would want. Um, but I think it's pretty, pretty. Um, it, it's just a CYA type of deal where if we're at a ski tournament and somebody down the road goes does something to, to, to a person that shouldn't, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, that 90-minute video. And look, I've coached high school football. I had to do 15 hours of video stuff uh, as far as, you know, running through these tests of how, how procedurally, how to deal with things. And this doesn't matter. That, that, that's not going to make a change in somebody's personality of how they deal with something. It's just not. I've been through these types of things. It's, it's in their head. It, something happens. It's not going to change it. So now you're saying – for a, for a sport that is struggling to get memberships to begin with, now you have to do this, or you can't go and ski in these tournaments. And and I, I know there was a whole other situation with background checks and all that with judges and all that. But um, just to remain compliant with USOPC. Yes. So again, there aren't a, a plethora of people out there saying, "Look, I want to volunteer to do that." It's hard enough to do it. There weren't any um, tournaments even close to me this last year. So I don't know. I just – I feel like we're making something way worse. Yeah, and, I'm, and I sincerely hope you do get the opportunity to actually ski more in tournaments because uh, by, that, by that measure, some uh, – some people will realize and have an epiphany and like say hey listen what we what we've been doing up to this point isn't working let's do this let's get people into the sport let's get people skiing in tournaments let's get people who are fans of the sport supporting the sport all that kind of stuff i've played in two super bowls seven nfc championship games played in front of millions of people on tv and i got 
thrilled when I got a personal best in a tournament. Okay? So when we're doing that and you get your kids, and when I had my two, two younger kids ski in a tournament and they had success, it was a fun family event. But there are so few and far between to find other than unless I guess you're down in Florida. But, you know, if we were talking about this earlier, I mean, there, there are some, some ski lakes and people said that they can't put these on. They don't want the liability issues. Right. So yeah. we're getting to a point where lawyers are, are running everything about life in general, instead of saying, you know, let's just go out and have fun and ski. Um, you know, the reality is that probably a lot of times things aren't really happening out there. And I know where some of this goes, but, um, again, there's got to be a way where people can have their day in court and really defend themselves too if um, in, instead of just being attacked by public opinion and, and hearsay and uh, he said, she said on, on a, a governance side um, and then it's just laid out as law. And, and I don't think that's a fair thing to do at all. And I'm not trying to point to any certain situation. I'm just saying in general – You've got to have your – everybody's got to have their day in court if something truly did go down. All right, then. Okay. Well, we're, <laughs> we're all – yeah, that, yeah when it, when it went in on a real deep dive on that one and, of course, on top of a lot of other subjects that we discussed here for nearly We just an want hour. to ski, Tony. We just want to ski. Yeah, we do. Yeah, just let us ski. Let us ski. Let us ski. So, anyway, uh, this, uh, this conversation has lasted for, uh, for almost an hour, which makes this the longest podcast that we've done on TWBC. I tried to keep it down to a little less than half an hour, but um, – I mean, you've been such I'll an win award. Uh, may, maybe I'll, I'll send you a fruit basket. How about that? But, uh, but anyway. How about teaching me how to get to 38 off, buddy? And then I can look at myself and say I'm a halfway decent skier at that point. Send me some video and I'll be more than happy to critique. <laughs> All right, then. So uh, it's lasted almost an hour, which is the longest. Now, I normally give the, uh, the, uh, my interviewees the opportunity to thank certain people, family, what have you. So with the so with the remaining couple of minutes, I'm going to throw that opportunity to you, Mr. David Akers, former kicker for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, first off, Tony, thanks for having me on here. I, I enjoyed spending the time talking with you. I love talking about talking about water skiing and football, two passions of my life. But uh, obviously, my wife's been great to me to allow me to get out and, and enjoy this new hobby of myself. Uh, my local guys here, the Kirby, uh, Wetzel, Griff. Uh, you know, Paul Turner's of the world, but then Chet Raley and Matt Reaney and those guys, man, I just appreciate those. And then going back to Dave Good and, and Chad Scott that helped me with Good and, and Don Good with them. And then I've actually been riding a D3. So I, I got to, you know, thank those guys at D3 lately for getting me on that. And um, again, it's not necessarily a sponsorship thing. It's just the community. And it's not like one ski's better than another. It's just where I've kind of progressed to in life and, uh, and, and honestly, just the greatness of, of people like yourself and people like Regina Jaquiz, who took me under her wing initially and uh, even down with the Picoses, they, they were awesome to me. So, um, and it all started with the big tower of power, Chris Parrish, who introduced me to so many of those people. So he's a big football fan and uh, thank him for the opportunity to, to bring me into this awesome sport. So thank you, Tony, for today. 
Not a problem, not a problem at all. That was David Akers. Uh, I've uh, been Tony Lightfoot thanking you once again for listening to this uh, episode of the TWBC podcast. And so until next time, it is ciao for now. Thank you for listening to the TWBC podcast. Be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com. Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC Podcast.